Hello and welcome to the next space broadcast brought to you by Reflex Aerospace. As a satellite manufacturer operating on the upstream end of the space value chain, this podcast series is part of our deep engagement efforts with current and potential end users of space applications to better understand their requirements and to develop smarter solutions for the future together. I'm your host, Rachina Mamidi, and today with us is Dr. Dimitri Mikhailov. Uh, Dr. Mikhailov is a professor of AI and big data at the National University of Singapore, and uh, he's a graduate of the UK's University of Warwick, and he holds a PhD in AI, artificial intelligence. He is the author of numerous patents and publications and books in multiple languages, and he has an extensive experience in applying um, satellite imagery uh, to to verification of carbon credits. And he also uses AI and big data concepts to engineer new products for the cybersecurity market. And given Dr. Mikhailov's um, incredibly extensive experience around diverse topics, which are so interesting for us, today let's focus on two of these topics. So first one, let's dive into the role um, I'm sorry. First one, let's dive into cybersecurity with increasing satellite connectivity. So what cybersecurity means uh, when there is increased satellite connectivity, how can we build more resilient satellites that are um, resilient to these cyber effects? And now with the um, onset of quantum uh, cyber attacks, so let's see how we can build, uh, build more resilient systems. So... Uh, Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mikhailov. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, I'm actually focused in AI and big data area. And what is quite important from my point of view that we start this talk, not from the technologies, but from the aspect of cybersecurity. And I'll tell why. Because I've seen a lot of solutions that try to penetrate the market, do something very fast, very efficient, provide a new product and they don't think about cybersecurity at all. And then at the end of the day, they start patching. That is not a good approach to cybersecurity. They start to understand that their solutions are vulnerable. And especially nowadays, you can lose the whole business. So instead of speaking about cybersecurity as a last topic, it would be good to start with it because it's a, it's a crucial thing in nowadays, especially in aerospace, in uh, satellites, because satellites are not regulated that well space belongs to everybody and there are no regulations same as sea same as space united nations i think have to make much more efforts in regulations of space because nowadays i'll give you an example i can start i can make a startup on launching a small satellite satellite into space and this satellite as far as it's a small startup will not be cyber secure so anybody can actually hack it and what happens afterwards Anybody who hacks it can target it towards a bigger satellite and make a major collision. And nobody thinks about it, nobody speaks about it, but the tens of satellites in the space is so, it is so hard. Satellites are so close to each other, then even one small satellite from a startup can make, a, can cause a huge damage. And there is no actually any kind of regulations on the cryptography on the cybersecurity side. Everybody wants to do a more cost-effective satellite. And it's a huge problem and a big challenge in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. While building satellites, uh, cybersecurity considerations are more of an afterthought 
than uh, which go in at the beginning of uh, you know designing the satellite. So I absolutely agree with that. And for, but first of all, let's let's uh, perhaps start with the basics. You know how are how is how are cybersecurity vulnerable uh, vulnerabilities quantified in the first place? Well, there are there are if we speak about satellites, there are several problems like GPS jamming. It's when you try to jam the signal of a satellite or not, not only GPS, just jamming the signal, eavesdropping, if you don't have a very good cybersecurity cryptography protection, spoofing and hijacking. Basically, with hijacking, you can take control over the satellite because you didn't do quite a good protection there. And uh, to make a very good satellite protection, you have to think out first who can do damage to your satellite, who are those hacktivists who can do that, and what is their motive. This is very important. Of course, most of the satellite companies say, well, we don't have that much enemies, that many enemies, we, we are not vulnerable. Nobody will think about taking down the satellite that's uh, just tracking, say, carbon credits. Um, whose interest is that? But it's not the yeah. right approach because at the end of the day, somebody who wants to take, hijack your satellite may not be even thinking about your company. You can think about moving the satellite in a wrong orbit, in the wrong position, and target a military satellite, for example. So this rejection of uh, being of non-interest to any hackers is not the right approach. Okay, that's uh, absolutely yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's very interesting. So when we are trying to make satellites more resilient to cyber attacks. Can the methods of uh, IoT malware deduction, detection, for example, be applied to satellites? Because they share these similarities, right? IoT devices and satellites have these similarities that both of them are on mostly remotely accessible. And they also have these tighter, let's say, onboard or on-chip data handling protocols. So could this be one method to mitigate cyber attacks? Partially, yes. Partially, yes. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, many satellite companies forget about checking the hardware and software of satellite just before the launch. Uh, they don't, mm -hmm. they just keep this scanning of and proper audit. And honestly speaking, if you try even to Google uh, any service of making audit of a satellite equipment, you will not find a single company. And it's a huge problem because nobody is making the audit of the whole hardware and software before the launch. After the launch, of course, nobody can get access to the satellite in the space uh, if your channel <clears throat> is properly encrypted. Uh, but this encryption is also usually is not uh, really carried about. Why? Because it takes money, it takes energy from the satellite. Encrypting and decrypting something is an additional procedure, and most of the companies try to skip it. And when they try to skip it, they can have hackers penetrating this channel trying to take control of the satellite. So it's number two. The first is audit, the second is uh, proper encryption. And the third one that is also very important, if you have on-land software and hardware that controls the satellites, most of the companies just neglect that this software can be attacked and then through the encrypted channel, even if it's encrypted, uh, the satellite can be attacked. So we have three components and most of the components, unfortunately, are not taken care of. Hmm. Okay, that's uh, what do you think would be the ideal way of uh, the design and development and building of a satellite, you know, to make it completely resilient or perhaps if not completely as much as possible re resilient to cyber attacks? 
You know, unfortunately, and I've been in this area for like 10 years, maybe more, uh, we've been introduced with smartphones, then with uh, industrial control systems and IoT, and all these new innovations, they all are not, were not regulated. They were not regulated uh, for some years. They had a lot of hackers trying to take benefits from unprotected assets. And then regulations were imposed, and cybersecurity companies, after the regulation, started to develop the progress, start, start to develop the product. Why they do it after the, these regulations are imposed? Because regulations create a market for them. That means they don't have to sell, like running after any, every company and selling their product. That means there's a company are trying to buy the product that helps them to be certificated according to the cybersecurity regulations. Unfortunately, in this mm -hmm. industry, in satellite industry, there are no regulations so far, or at least the regulations are not that good, not that strict. And my strong belief is that until we have a strong regulations in and not on the government level, it has to be United Nations kind of regulation. So anybody who launched something to satellite has to go to some, through some procedure. Only in this case, we have really cyber secure space. Before that, I don't think it will work because companies try still to save money on this. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I agree with you. Uh, the satellite market is not really the most regulated. <laughs> Uh, compared to the other uh, the other spaces, I, I mean, insurance company can also take uh, make a step because most of the satellites now are insured. But again, we don't see any move from insurance companies so that they make this cybersecurity obligatory, the service of audit obligatory, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would be the no-brainer because uh, insurance company is the biggest stakeholder at the end of the day. Uh, money-wise, financials-wise, so yeah, um, hopefully someday. <laughs> uh, so when when we are talking about um, you know cybersecurity and uh, this brings into picture uh, now satcom networks, shared uh, satellite net networks are becoming more and more popular. And what is the magnitude of risk uh, for let's say an end user, not not just the satellite, but for let's say I'm an end user who's connected to a satcom network. What is the magnitude of risk to me when I'm using a SATCOM network that is run on shared satellite networks compared to a self-owned and a self-operated satellite network? Well, uh, there are pro there's no right answer here, actually, because if you make your own satellite and you are on your own and you have a very good cybersecurity protection, it's a very good solution. If you don't have that and you have a shared network, it can be a better solution because a shared network can also have a higher higher protection level. Of course, the best solution, if you have your own network and you are cybersecurity and you have enough money to guarantee cybersecurity of the solution. So you have to always understand basically who is this threat actor, who is a hacker who can hack you, who wants to hack you and act according to this. Because if it's a foreign intelligence, it's one case. If it's a student hacker, it's another case. So you have to understand, mm -hmm. or if it's a competitor, it's a third case. So you have to understand who is a hacker who can hack you, what he has at hand, and uh, what are his in 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 incentives. That is a key question. And based on that, you can make your choice. Okay. This is a, this is a very uh, useful insight, uh, Dr. Mikhailov, because at, so that at the end of the day, whatever solutions 
uh, we are going to implement towards uh, towards making the satellite or the SATCOM network resilient against cyber attacks is basically figuring out the source or the pot potential threats. So you, you mean to say that every single solution would basically arise uh, uh, out of identifying the source of this threat? Of course, because, for example, you, have you, you can make a good uh, cryptography encryption for the channel, right? But if your opponent is a big country with very good supercomputers and with, um, with great hackers and they really want to put your satellite down, you really can do nothing uh, against it. Or you have to invest so much into the cybersecurity that your business will not be affordable. You have to have this model in, 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 ha in head before you do your choice, if we make a choice. Okay, that's good to know. So that means there's no blanket solution against cybersecurity, and it's all going to be just like uh, on the on the ground, you know, for terrestrial Absolutely. applications. It's going to be levels of uh, cybersecurity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, that's that's wonderful. These are very very interesting insights. Uh, thank you very much for that. Um, hopefully, we'll try to incorporate all these useful pointers into our satellite designs, and you know, uh, add an additional layer of assurance to our potential customers. So, um, well, uh, having discussed all that about cybersecurity, uh, I know it can be a bit daunting, <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, fingers crossed and uh, hopefully we all, uh, the whole satellite industry comes up with better solutions and better mitigation methods against cyber attacks. And let's move on to the next topic, which is also quite exciting. Um, Dr. Mikhailov has also done extensive work in uh, verification of carbon credits using satellite imagery. And we can perhaps then next talk about the role of satellite services in general in the, car in the whole carbon regulation market. So first of all, Dr. Mikhailov, uh, is satellite imagery currently being used for carbon credit verification? Yes, they are used. But I would, you know, I would at this stage at least of developing of this market, I would focus off methane because it has actually mm -hmm. a 22 time uh, greater global warming potential than carbon. And it's easier tracked from satellites. So at least my experience was focused within the last couple of years on the traction of methane emissions. And they are quite easy and uh, tracked from satellites. So I can tell that satellites imaging already playing a great role, at least in uh, making this methane um, impacts less. Okay. And... Um... Have you, um, in, in, during your research or during your uh, research work so far, have you encountered any barriers to accessing satellite imagery? Well, um, yes, uh, it's a big problem nowadays because, as we all know, there are several systems of uh, satellites, passive systems that use the sun as a source of electromagnetic radiation and active remote mm -hmm. sensing systems that carries on board own electromagnetic radiation sources. And uh, there is lack of uh, images, there is lack of data that is accessible, especially free data. In most cases, you have to pay mm -hmm. quite a lot to get access to this information. And most of the companies who try to detect these carbon offsets, uh, they try to save money, of course, because most of them are startups are just entering the market. And they try to limit themselves to using only, say, Landsat images that are free and the resolution is not so good, and they cannot actually get really good results in this uh, tracking of uh, carbon offsets. And it's a huge problem because 
the number of startups I've I've seen the number of startups I I became as an advisor I came as an advisor they try to save money, and the problem is that most of the satellite companies they don't give some satellite images for free to these startups to try something. At least, I mean, it can be small area, mm-hmm. but they can have it for free. Then they can develop their technology, become the client of the satellite suppliers, supply images uh, company, and that can bring a great boost to the market because nowadays they try to save money as i said and uh, the the results are not so good as they could be okay so um that's interesting so besides um being prohibitively expensive uh is the current satellite imagery that's available uh sufficient in terms of let's say spectral bands or spatial resolution or the frequency of availability or even geographical areas of interest a uh, geographical area is definitely a problem so far not everything is covered at least uh, some countries where i walked say i walked in uzbekistan within the national program of breaking carbon as, uh, offsets uh, they have a problem they have these images available only once a week say uh, in some of the areas and there is a huge problem for the country because they have to prove the carbon offsets work Another problem is that uh, most of the carbon uh, offset uh, startups, they use different uh, indexes for tracking mm-hmm. vegetation, like uh, normalized vegetation, uh, difference, vegeta- difference vegetation index. And these indexes are calculated wrongly because uh, the quality is not enough, uh, the frequency of the satellite images supply is not enough, so they don't get really very good data and based on this data, they cannot really calculate the proper formulas. They cannot calculate the uh, carbon offsets. And uh, the trust to the data is low. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's very interesting. So which, what kind, which uh, other geographical areas do you think um, there is a serious lack or dearth of satellite imagery across the world? Uh I worked in Central Asia. It's a major problem there. Africa, definitely as well. Latin America, uh, all these three areas where I have experience, mm-hmm. they have a lack of access to good data. Moreover, it's quite important that, for example, working in Brazil and working in Uzbekistan, you have to implement very different approaches because they have so different climatic climatic areas, so different vegetation, uh, sun, everything is so different. So you have to adapt the data you have to local reality. And the problem is that the local, it can be done actually only by local startups who have historical data, who have access to their uh, field measurements, who have access to, for example, multispectral camera on drones, because you need all these different layers of data, not only satellite, but drones images, also IoT devices and uh, soil measurements to make a proper model on calculating the carbon offset. So it can be done only by local startup, actually. And these startups, they don't have enough money. Say, for example, in Uzbekistan, the investments in VC investments in local startups in carbon area is almost zero. So these companies don't have enough budget. So they produce not very accurate uh, calculations. And the country suffers because they cannot, the country cannot really show that carbon offset sink is working. And uh, mm. I would think uh, about you know, making, uh, oh, it's just a proposal, making small VC funds uh, 
from uh, the satellite images or uh, producers or maybe uh, like their their cooperations on how to invest in small startups in these countries so that to they can read or maybe provide them images for free so that they can really make proper calculations of carbon offset formulas in their region that's uh, that's very interesting but uh... Why do you think there has not been interest in this direction so far? Uh, is it because the financial returns are not really expected to be that high, that lucrative for investors or satellite operators? Or is there any other reason? Yes, uh, the, the payback is not so obvious. Regulations mm -hmm. are evolving and changing all the time. Of course, it's a, it's a very good area and most of the VC funds go there. But they also go mostly to the countries like the United States or Europe, United Europe, mm -hmm. because there it's quite obvious because the green agenda will be there for a long time. And say Central Asia countries and other countries have other problems and uh, carbon emissions maybe is not their top priority. And that will be same for a long time unless we have other vehicles to sponsor local initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. I guess political stability and uh, clarity in around space or satellite imagery regulations would also play a role. So, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, offsets must meet, meet requirements of this permanence, right? Impact of projects should be not mm -hmm. traversed in the future. And uh, the mm -hmm. stability is a huge, uh, huge criteria for this. And political, geopolitical instability is also making the impact on the carbon offsets. Hmm. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Do you think having, um, so we are talking about satellite imagery, yes, but kind of taking a small detour. Do you think uh, having affordable satellite connectivity would make things easier in terms of all that we talked about in these uh, geographical areas? Absolutely, because uh, this will lead to new startups coming uh, to the scene, offering very specific knowledge. I'll give you an example. Mm. Uh, Uzbekistan, uh, where I worked, is a country of cotton. And uh, nobody so far studied the mm. carbon credits of cotton because most of the country economy, at least like five years ago, was built on cotton export. Uh, expo export. And um, the problem is uh, most, there are a lot of startups who tried to make these measurements and make quite impressive research in the area. And it will be an expert product. I mean, they could export these services to other countries like Pakistan, India, United States, uh, China, everywhere, because they have Im immense data they can use to train a very good AI model at least. But again, nobody invested in this case and these all ideas didn't come, came through. Okay, that's, uh, that's wow, that's uh, it's very interesting. I mean, <laughs> you don't really, you know, being a satellite manufacturer, very, um, we never really think about these things or these kind of problems on ground. So that's very interesting. Um, however, do you think you said that the, the you know, the, the, the investments, even though there is a decent VC presence, uh, there is not much of investments into carbon credits uh, across the world. Do you think with the increasing awareness about climate change, uh, do you think this is, uh, you know, this whole scene is changing? And do you think it would push more VCs to invest 
into you know providing um, into supporting these carbon credit companies and also do you think the demand for real time satellite imagery would change and how how do you see it panning out i don't know in the next 10 years 20 years the demand will really uh, increase it's for sure multiple times but the problem is that i think that vcs are not the power is not the power who will push this carbon offset market because VCs follow regulations and follow market demand. Mm. And the market in this case is formed by regulations in the country and between the countries. And we have to focus on these stable rules, clear, clear rules on regulations. Then we see will come and then we'll have a huge demand. There will be a lot of startups and there will be a huge demand for the satellite data. And not only startups, I, 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 uh, I mean, not only startups, it can be government, government companies as well, but regulations come first. Same wow. as in cybersecurity, by the way. That's, um, that's very interesting because, you know, historically, when we look at the evolution of the whole space um, era for humanity, uh, it was always regulation that was following space technology. Now looks like like regulation has to take the lead, you know, in propelling us forwards. Absolutely, that's my strong belief. Only regulations will make it happen. Okay, that's uh, that's very great. That's a very insightful, very useful um, uh, um, inputs you have given, Doctor Mikhailov. Um, very rarely, like I said, as uh, someone who is. Uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> kind of in this eco chamber of the space bubble, stuck in the space bubble, we rarely ever think out of, you know, uh, think of all these other problems on the ground. And especially as uh, engineers, uh, we don't really, <laughs> you know, we're just too occupied with the engineering aspects, but it's very great to know that uh, all the repercussions, how everything kind of flows and how, what impacts, um, you know, the, the ripple effect of regulation and how it can impact technology. So that's very, very interesting. And uh, uh, that's very inf insightful. And thank you very much for your wonderful inputs. And thank you very much for your time. Thank uh, you. It was great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.